welcome to another episode of Take 15. My name is Bud Hazlitt, and I'm the head of Risk Management and Derivatives for CFA Institute. Today we have the pleasure of meeting Marianne Jennings from Arizona State University. She's an expert in ethics. Marianne, thank you very much for coming here. Oh, my pleasure. And we have several questions to ask you. So our first question is, what were the ethical issues surrounding the financial crisis, and have they been addressed? Well, they were pretty typical from the 1920s on. You have the same kinds of things going on, which is that people get a little caught up in, well, I need to have this return, I need to have this rate of return, I need to have make this much money, and they start crossing little lines. They find an area that's kind of gray, and then, and then they move from that into larger areas, and then they move from that into insider trading, and so you have all of these little pieces of conduct that eventually carry over into organizations and then into the industry, and the result is you have what happened in 2008. Now, has it been addressed? No, I, I, I don't think so, nor do I think the regulations will address the issues. It all boils down to um, each of us fundamentally taking charge and saying, okay, wait a minute, if I were the client, what would I want to know? If I were the investor, how would I feel about what I would want to do here? And so those very basic and simple questions are the kinds of things you can't really ever regulate. Um, it has to come from inside, right? It has to come from inside, and this is introspection. And to the extent we fix it, it's going to be when people step back and say, okay, what do I learn from this? You know, regardless of whatever the government does, what do I learn from this? What happened to my clients? What happened to me? What happened to our reputation? And you change behaviors because of that. I noticed that there are some companies that are taking less risk now. And that's an example of introspection. And an ethical reason they're taking less risk, or is that a financial reason? Well, it, it may be a fear reason because the regulators have been so hyper about it, but I'll, I'll take it. You know, it's like right. when you're raising children. You don't care if they're behaving because they fear you or because they want to do the right thing. You'll take it till right. they progress. Excellent. Um, what are the seven signs of ethical collapse? Well, um, this is a book that I wrote after 30 years of research, and it really did come through the scandals of the, the 70s, 80s, 90s, and I started to see these common threads, and one of them, the first one, is this enormous pressure that kicks in, um, and it really, it, it almost becomes irrational. We all have pressure. You know, we got to get out of bed in the morning, and thank goodness it's there because it does motivate us. But what happens is the pressure, for example, to meet those numbers becomes the decision, the sole decision factor, and people lose sight of what they really want to achieve, and so it almost becomes irrational. You know, they can't really see that over the long term their behavior is really self-destructive or destructive to the firm. They just want to meet the numbers. Now, one of the other signs is fear and silence, where I really have never seen any situation where somebody came in and said, where that was wrong, and they were saying, no kidding. It, you know, it was one of those where they all knew, and it was in the emails, and it was back and forth, and back in the 80s, it was in the recorded transcripts of the telephone calls. So people did see it within the firm and within their operations, but they were afraid to raise the issue 
because they had created this system of rewards within the organization that those who were doing these things got rewarded. So although they saw it, they didn't speak up. And, you know, you often get these iconic leaders, and I think you saw a great deal of that in 2008. That's one of the other signs. You have iconic leaders, media attention. Um, people think they can do no wrong. You know, Chuck Prince was still dancing. You know, you have all of those kinds of things going on. So people think, okay, I'm seeing something here, but after all, they are iconic. And so they start to think they're the dumb one. And generally, they surround themselves with people who will not speak up. Um, what are some of the cross-cultural differences in attitudes towards ethics? You know, it's kind of amazing to me. It's one of the first pushbacks I get from students where they say, oh, well, you're just saying that because that's the United States and that's, that's where we are. You know, actually, I, I challenge them and I say, okay, name me one country in the world where people say, you know what I really love is when I am defrauded. I really enjoy that. You know, so I, I'm really... I'm really cautious about sloppy cross-culturalism where people say, well, it's different in other countries. Have they been brought up differently in terms of, you know, the conflicts and nepotism and those kinds of things? Sure, there are those kinds of differences. But I'll tell you something, when it comes to financial markets, it's pretty clear what has to take hold if the market's going to perform. You mentioned about the school. What can the universities do to promote ethical behavior? Um, they really do need to go back to the Aristotle types of virtues. Good old liberal arts, right? <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a great deal uh, that is taught in terms of social responsibility and sustainability. And I don't want to discount those in any way, but you know, I always explain to my students, I'd just like to get at the accounting fraud and then we'll move on from there to save the world. And they really have not said, and I do it in my class, I say, okay, take this company and this financial statement and tell me what they have done that is misleading. The first thing that they point out to me is, well, it complies with the accounting rules. I say, absolutely, it complies. But the law is one thing. Ethics is something different. And there will always be a loophole, there will always be gray, and that's where your self-determination is important. And so then they start looking at it and say, you know, the biggest drawback to that is the company decides itself about how well it is doing. You can play those numbers, you know, reasonable minds can differ on what that financial report should say, but reasonable minds should not differ on how the company is doing in reality. And that's where we part ways ethics and law. And, and, the, and then they start to drink the Kool-Aid. They start to believe that they're doing that well. And then they negotiate with the union, and the union said, you, you said you were doing well. Well, we were under the rules, but we're not really doing well. So it's kind of an interesting discussion with them. Great. Uh, the truth percolates. What does that mean? Um, it's, you know, it's something that I hit upon so many years ago, because it's uncanny how managers think they can keep bad news. Um, from investors, from shareholders, and so they sort of, you know, gloss things over and use ploys, and well, they don't need to know that right now, and we'll disclose that only if we have to. And the amazing thing is, it always comes to the surface. It's just like this powerful natural force that when you can't keep it down, and it's always circumstances beyond your control that cause it to come up. So, and then you've got two problems. One is the bad news, and the second is now that you withheld it. And, and you lose credibility when you try to say to someone, well, we, I didn't think it was important. Well, if it wasn't important, then why didn't you just speak up? So you've lost the trust 
and now you have to deal with the negative information anyway. And, and I try to explain to people, just assume that whatever it is that you're deciding, whatever it is that you're withholding, whatever it is that you're discussing, just assume it's going to become known to the public, to the people who are affected by it. Now make your decision. You know, just assume that a month from now, a year from now, this is going to come out. Would you make the same decision? Because it will. And the variable is really time. It is not the probability of it coming out. The variable is how long it will take. That's great, Marianne. Thank you very much for sharing your insights. And thank you for joining us with another episode of Take 15. Copyright 2011, CFA Institute. No part may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, electronic, mechanical, recording, or otherwise, without the express prior written permission of CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.